Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And folks, it is still true. Our Savior Jesus has conquered the grave. and He's given us life, forgiveness, and grace. He's given us a purpose and a calling. And we continue to celebrate that truth together as his people. As we've been saying, wherever we are, sheltering in place in these difficult, challenging days. And yet, our God is still an answer to that longing we have. Um, Last week, Pastor Steve, uh, in in amazing ways, shared through God's word as the the disciples that were walking on that road to Emmaus. And as that that scripture had said, we had hoped. Remember that? And, And that hope that Jesus then reveals as their hearts were burning within them as he opened the scriptures. And that promise that Jesus fulfills as a savior who comes and lays down his life, conquers the grave, and gives us hope today. And it is still true. And today, uh, and this weekend, as we've opened God's word again together through our time of worship today, uh, we've seen a a promise that fulfills that hope in an answer that brings faith. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you're one like me that struggles at times in our faith. It may surprise you. I'm a pastor after all. Like, how can a pastor struggle and have doubts even in their faith? But the reality is we all do. Uh, That's the truth. And even as we face it in God's word, maybe you've heard those words from from Hebrews chapter 11 that's often uh, quoted as ultimate text referring to faith versus doubt. It says this, faith is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. It's often a proof text given for what true faith is. Faith is not based in anything that we see or anything that we can look at or touch or feel or taste. The true faith is, despite all of those human emotions or senses, goes beyond it and supersedes our circumstances to give us a certainty. The fact is, is all of us live in the realm of what we can see and what we can taste, what we can touch. Uh, Faith for us often, what we long for, is something that can be experienced. Uh, We even hear the popular phrase, you know, seeing is believing. You've probably heard that or even said it. And, And so how do you deal with your faith in Jesus when doubt comes into play or when you have questions or you're having a a difficulty understanding a a certain circumstance. Maybe right now, maybe you're going through it and just wondering where is God in the midst of all of this. With that in mind today, I want to discover and uncover what God has to say about faith versus doubt. And, And it's the question, is doubt the same as unbelief? Or is unbelief something very different than doubt? Hope to explore that with you today. And even by, by way of looking back, you know, throughout those who experienced their faith uh, with Jesus in their walk with the Lord, I, I think of one like Billy Graham, for instance. And in his 90s, uh, he was asked the question, you know, after all of his years of, of ministry, was, they asked him, are you certain that when, when you get home to heaven one day that the Lord's going to sit you down and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And there was actually an uncomfortable pause as Billy Graham then responded by just simply saying, I hope so. That may surprise us, right? You'd think, man, there'd be a certainty that as he'd live life you know, to the glory of God and that ultimately God would say, well done, of thousands and thousands of people that had come to faith through his ministry. I think about Martin Luther, the great reformer, one time was approached by an elderly woman and, and the woman was struggling with doubt in the midst of her faith. And Martin Luther asked her a question. He, he just simply said, 
when you recite the creeds, do you believe that they're true? And she responded, without a doubt, I I believe every word. And, And with that, Martin Luther responded, you have greater faith than I do. That may surprise you. And yet, the experience of many people in their faith walk with the Lord is often times and seasons of doubt, seasons of questions, uh, times filled with uh, just that deep despair of, well, what if? And sometimes what we like to do is we, we try to maybe say, oh, maybe if I can just be smart enough and, and figure it out and maybe my intellect can overcome any unbelief or, or doubts I may have. And, and sometimes people may take that approach. I know for me, early on when I was in, in confirmation and in the early days of, of, of growing in my faith relationship with Jesus, and I remember having these deep questions and, and wanting to know more, and, and I remember one of the pastors that taught me along the way simply said, you just have to believe and not doubt. And I will say it, in that time and in that moment, that was not what I needed to hear, or at least I didn't think it's what I needed to hear, because what it actually did for me was to make me feel very shameful on having questions and wanting to know more about what it was I was learning about Jesus. I wanted to know, how do we know it's true? What's behind it? What goes into the authority of God's word, and how do we know that the witnesses were telling the truth? Those were some of the questions I was simply having. And to simply hear the word, you just got to have more faith, well, that was a struggle for me, and it actually only brought in more doubt at the time. I love the, the story of, uh, there were three, three people on a plane one day. One was the pilot, of course, and along with the pilot was the smartest man in the world and a, a Boy Scout. Uh, you might already have it figured out, this is kind of a, a story that ends in a joke a little bit, but here's the deal. They're flying, and and one of the engines, or the engine, goes out and the plane is going down. And with that, the pilot announces, we only have two, t- two parachutes. And with that, the, the smartest man in the world grabs one of them and declares to the Boy Scout and the pilot, I'm the smartest man in the world and the world needs my intelligence. I'm sorry. And he jumps out of the plane. A few moments after that, the pilot turned to the Boy Scout and the pilot was getting up in, in years, and he said to the Boy Scout, he says, you know, I've lived a really good life. I have no regrets. You have your whole life ahead of you, young man, and I want you to take the other parachute. With that, the, the Boy Scout smiled and said to the pilot, ah, don't worry about it. The smartest man in the world just grabbed my backpack. You get it. You know, so there's a lot of people today, some very smart men, some smart women, some smart students, smart people We're jumping out of planes with backpacks. Question is for us, what are we hanging on to when it comes to something that is certain, something that is secure, something that is sure, when it comes to our faith? And with that in mind, I want to turn to God's word with you today. We've read both in Peter's account as an eyewitness to the resurrection in 1 Peter, and we've also read the gospel reading for today that we've been focusing in on, on that account of Thomas not being there in that early account and the, as Jesus appeared to the disciples uh, where they had been sheltering in place together out of fear. And we turn to this later in the book of John, John chapter 20, and, and we find that out on that same day of the resurrection. 
Jesus had appeared to them, and he says, you know, peace be with you. And after he said this, it says he showed them his hands and his side. And with that, the reaction was the disciples were overjoyed, and when they saw the Lord, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. I want to pause there for a moment because a lot of times we just read right past this and, and we jump ahead to the next section where Thomas speaks up and says, hey, I, I wasn't there and, and, and I'm not going to believe this because I wasn't there. And, and we, we start to label Thomas as the doubting one, which I, I really think is unfair because after all, if we see what had just happened, the disciples, it's very clear that again and again they see they, they, with their own eyes, they are witnesses to what Jesus had clearly done. He'd conquered death, and he, he showed them his wounds. And it says that they saw this, and they were overjoyed. And behind that joy is, is faith. That's why Peter would, would later write this. He said, you know, though you've not seen him, you love him, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible joy. Peter's making a point that joy comes through faith. And, and here it is, as one of those eyewitnesses, there's an overwhelming sense of joy when they saw the Lord. Now that's when we get to Thomas in verses 24 and 25. It says this, now, now Thomas, also called Didymus, and by the way, his, his name means twin, both in Greek as well. And, and he says here that one of the twelve, which he was, was not with the disciples when Jesus came to that room where they were staying. And, and you always have to ask the question, where, where, where was he? <laughs> and, and the scripture doesn't say, but I always find that interesting. Wouldn't it be interesting one day when we get home to heaven to be able to ask Thomas, just curious, where were you that day? I mean, maybe it was uh, the afternoon, maybe his, his wife was having book club and, and Thomas had to stay home with the kids. We, we just don't know. He, but he wasn't there in that moment. And, and Jesus appears, and, and Thomas isn't there, and, and Thomas' reaction as he hears them say, we have seen the Lord in his, his words, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand to his, into his side, I will not believe. And, and that one statement gets a label put on Thomas from here on out in Christian tradition, which is not really fair. Because what is really Thomas saying? He's just simply saying, I wish I had been here with you guys when Jesus appeared to you. I want to get that same experience. I want to see. I want to touch. I want to know. Lest we judge Thomas too quickly, don't you want to know? Don't you want to see? I want to see. I want to be certain that this is true. I don't want to jump out of an airplane with a backpack. I want to know with certainty that what I believe is true and that it's still true today. Unless we judge him, unless we push him aside, we need to first see what Jesus does with that statement. Because it happens that a few days later, in fact a week later, so the following Sunday, verses 26 through 28, it says this, now, a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, which is a great detail, isn't it? The doors are locked. 
And, and, and that reminds us of something, two things, really, is not only are they sheltering in place out of fear, a fear of what could happen to them that's still lingering over them if, if they were willing to arrest Jesus unjustly and put him to death, what might they also do to his followers? And so there was still that, that sense of anxiety over repercussions of being a follower of Jesus even now. But here they are with the doors locked and somehow, miraculously, clearly, Jesus came and stood among them and said, again, doors are locked, yet Jesus comes and stands among them. How is this possible? And yet this is what God can do. God can do beyond anything we can ever imagine. And here they are as eyewitnesses again in the presence of a resurrected Savior. And Jesus says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, because you have not believed, you have no place in the kingdom. That's actually not what it says. (laughs) It's not what it says at all. I throw that in because I think that's often how we approach this text, and that's what we assume Jesus did to Thomas, that Jesus threw him out and says, you have no place here. It's not what he does. And I say to you, this to you as well, if you are one who doubts, one who has questions, one who wants to simply see and know, notice how Jesus handles Thomas. Jesus then said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Did you hear that? Jesus doesn't push him away. Jesus doesn't say, you have no part in me. No, rather he says, here, see and believe. And with that, Thomas Given that opportunity, says, my Lord and my God. This response of worship, this response of belief in the presence of Almighty God and the realization that his Savior Jesus had truly conquered death. Thomas was transformed by this truth and the fact that it truly was just as they had said. Now it goes on. Jesus does say in verse 29, he says, And Jesus told them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's a message for us, isn't it? And our pursuit and our longings to be able to see and, and to be present. And you say, well, but I wasn't there, so how can I know it's true? But the fact is, is this is not some blind faith that's not based in fact or, or something that just somebody made up. Is we are blessed with eyewitness accounts of those who were there and, and recorded it and share it. I've heard it said if you added up all of the eyewitness accounts of those who saw Jesus in those 40 days following his resurrection, and there's hundreds of them, as as Paul would later recount, he says over 500 people saw Jesus alive at one time. And if you added up all of their testimonies, and you gave, say, each one of them 15 minutes to tell their story of an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and they're willing to go anywhere in order to tell that, that amazing truth. And he gave them each 15 minutes where you would have nothing short of over three weeks of testimony in a court of law 
from those hundreds of witnesses and you would have to listen to them nonstop 24-7 for three weeks. That's a lot of people staking their lives on the fact that they witnessed personally the resurrection of Jesus. This isn't just one person going out into the woods and coming back and saying, hey, God spoke to me and, and, and let's start a new faith and follow me. No, this is hundreds of people in different moments being eyewitness testimony to what had happened to say it is true. That's why John's gospel would end in this way. And, or it wasn't end, actually, this chapter ends. I always thought, this verse was at the end of the gospel, but actually it's right after this section. And I love what John says in verses 30 through 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, hear this, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, the same Jesus who doesn't push Thomas away in the midst of his questions is one that John reminds us is one who reveals himself through his word. John says many things were done by Jesus. Many of them weren't even recorded in his book. But the ones that were written were written so that you might believe and have life in his name. John is also the one that said, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us at the beginning of his gospel. He understood that Jesus had come into this world in the flesh as a fulfillment of the word and that the word, when it's read and when it's, it's, it's reflected on and meditated on, is that God meets his people with his presence to open up our eyes to see Jesus in ways that are miraculous here today. That's why we can't ever underestimate the power of the Word of God to bring about faith. As the Scripture says that faith comes by hearing the message or hearing the Word. You know, in these days of sheltering in, the pl in place, as we've been encouraging you all along, don't underestimate the importance of spending time in the Word of God. If, if you've been given more time, to reflect, use that time not to watch more TV or spend more time on Facebook. Rather, spend more time in the living Word of God that God might open our eyes to see Jesus unlike ever before. And if that's going to be a takeaway in this difficult time that we've been people who have had our faith be strengthened because we have had our eyes and our hearts open wider by the presence of Jesus through His Word, what an amazing takeaway. And you want to talk about a new normal of what God can do in the life of one who experiences the fact that it is still true. As people who once doubted and, and once had questions that God answers through his presence in his word, the Lord can do anything. Just ask Thomas. Now Christian tradition in history says that the one who is often labeled the doubting one really is the believing one. And as Thomas would then, in the days following Jesus' ascension into heaven, would feel led to go all the way down to India, where he would share his faith and testimony that Jesus had conquered the grave. Many of you know this because I've shared it before. As one of the just life-changing experiences I had many years ago was to travel to India. And, and while I was there in Chennai, in southern India, I went to what is known as St. Thomas Mount. I'm going to show you a picture of a, a chapel that has been built their mission uh, on the site. 
And uh, if you look at this, you know, here's this very humble, humble building and, uh, you know, surrounding it is just a place to come and meditate and, and ponder what, what God did there in Thomas's life. But if you walk a few steps away uh, from that chapel, um, there is a, a cliff and it, it, it's a cliff that drops down, the elevation drops uh, down to the city of Shanai and, and the word is 2,000 years ago when Thomas went there, he preached on top of that hill. And a crowd had gathered to hear him tell the message of Jesus. And the thing is, is not everybody liked what he had to say. They came up on the hill, they, they actually took him and they threw him off of the cliff in hopes of killing him for giving message of the message of Jesus. And I was thinking about this, you know, Thomas wasn't falling with a backpack in that moment. He was falling in an assurance of his faith in Jesus and the one who had called him by name as his own, the one who had conquered the grave and given him life. And Thomas, in the moments that would follow, would die for his faith on that mountain at the hands of those who persecuted him. But he died with joy. He died declaring and not recanting anything of what he had declared, the truth, that it is still true. Jesus has conquered the grave, and it's still true for us too. The question is, where will the Lord lead us? to go and tell others of that life-changing message. Can't wait to see. In these days and the days ahead, may God have his way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as people who doubt, people who question, people who are always on that fence of, of being overwhelmed in the midst of circumstances of life that can rock our emotions, rock our feelings, leave us in a place of wondering if it's truly what you say it is when it comes to following you. But you remind us that faith and doubt are often part of our life. And you don't push us away in this broken world because we have questions. Rather, you welcome us closer as you show us your wounds and you show us what you have done for us as a Savior who conquers the grave. So through your word today, the eyewitnesses of those who are there and that witness that continues to carry through the ages, it gives us truth today. Lord, may we know it, and may you open our hearts and our minds and lives in faith to not only trust you, but also to have joy, a joy that overflows in our relationships with others, to be people who cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. We thank you, Lord Jesus. It's still true. You're a God who brings faith. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we praise God for a chance to join together uh, through technology, wherever you are today. We thank you for tuning in. And uh, as we've been saying all along, you know, ministry continues. And God has been accomplishing so much in our community uh, through your ongoing generosity in these days. Just the, the people who have had meals on their table, even in the city of Detroit or in Pontiac, uh, as well as the ongoing ministry, church, and school here in our community of lives that are still being changed, even though this is a present new normal for now. Uh, those, those gifts are still needed. And we uh, encourage you to make the most of those online tools uh, to, to give gifts according to God's leading. And especially to you, our St. John family, uh, your, your faithfulness is so greatly appreciated in these days. And we thank you for that and praise God for it uh, as we continue our worship. And we, we continue by reflecting uh, through a, a previously recorded anthem as we give thanks to our God for music.